if you're in a domestic violence relationship, we know that about 90% of domestic violence victims are also victims of financial abuse. And so if you don't have access to your bank account or that's being restricted, but you have Bitcoin, that's another way where you leave. So whether you have an oppressive state that's restricting your money or you have an oppressive partner that's restricting your access to money, Bitcoin includes you. Bitcoin is an escape hatch when you can't rely on on your government, on your financial system, on your family. It's an escape hatch that includes people that are the most vulnerable. Welcome to the Progressive Bitcoiner podcast, where we explore the intersection of Bitcoin and progressive issues. Today's guest is author and social worker Nicole Dobrow. I'm your host, Mark Stefani. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoy the show. All right, Nicole, thank you so much for being here. Welcome to the Progressive Bitcoiner. So happy to have you. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to get this uh, off the ground. Absolutely. Before we get started, I have to say that if this podcast is to become anything at all, it will have been because of your efforts. So thank you. I really appreciate that. Um, and I think that, you know, anything we can do to move the progressive Bitcoin cause forward is a, is a win for society. So I'm really excited to be a part of it. Thank you. Well, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to the listeners? Sure. Yeah. My name is Nicole Dobrow and I uh, got into Bitcoin a few years ago from a buddy who sort of orange pilled me. And then I went sort of deep down the rabbit hole and sort of realized there was a dearth of progressive voices in the Bitcoin space. And so decided, what the heck, I'll just start becoming that voice. And at the same time, you know, I'm queer and I'm gender nonconforming. And I was a little nervous to say that in a space that's pretty predominantly cis male. Uh, but I decided, hey, if I'm coming out with my name, I'll just come out as gender nonconforming too. And so I said, hey, you know, I'm a, I'm a queer Bitcoiner. And my name's Nicole. And, and then, you know, it, it just sort of resonated. It seemed like there was like a real thirst in the Bitcoin community for more leftist voices. And I found you and I found some others. And I think, you know, since then there's been some momentum as I think we move along the adoption curve and Bitcoin gets more known. I think there's more of a thirst for for more liberal voices and use cases to be part of that conversation. And here we are. So when you first heard about Bitcoin, I'm wondering, did it map onto your progressive values at the first time of hearing it? Or did it take some time to really figure out that, hey, this is a technology that can help uh, the progressive ideals and value systems? Was it immediately apparently to you or not? To be honest, I did not see it as ideological at first. Um, you know, when I first learned about it, I understood its use case as a global monetary network. And I saw that as a humanitarian endeavor and not necessarily from a left or a right perspective. It just like made sense from a human level, why wouldn't we all just gravitate to, to one monetary network that treats us all equally as global citizens? We live in a globalized world. Um, and then at the same time, I really started looking into network effects and realizing how technology works on an adoption curve. And I started to think, well, Bitcoin's inevitable. Um, and so I think from those perspectives, 
you know, I started encouraging friends and family, like, Hey, there's something to this. You may want to store some of your savings in this. Um, and then as I went deeper down the rabbit hole and, uh, a buddy of mine kind of led me to some of the folks on Twitter to follow, to really learn from, that's when I really realized, wow, there's really like a partisan bent to this. Um, at first I didn't understand that. Um, and then I sort of started to find some misogyny and some really right-leaning ideas sort of embedded in a space that I didn't think had to be particularly partisan. And that worried me because I believe Bitcoin's going to be the global monetary system of our future. And the idea that the left is dismissing it could mean that as we transfer wealth um, from a physical system to the digital system, what happens if only the right accrues it? Um, that could be really dangerous for the world. And so I think that's what really propelled me to start pushing for progressive causes. Um, at first, I wrote an article um, sort of imploring the left to, to, to get into Bitcoin from almost a game theory political level. Like, if you don't do this, here are the risks. Like, fascists can hold the majority of the monetary wealth. And that's really scary. So for no other reason than that, right, like, look at game theory, we need to adapt as the left. Um, and then I moved further into the rabbit hole and really saw very specific progressive use cases. And I thought, well, you know, if no one else is making these cases, and, and to be fair, I found a few folks uh, that that have been, um, but, but they're not super elevated in the space. And so I think that got me more vocal, just feeling like there weren't enough voices doing it. And so the more I realized the left really needs to understand this from the perspective of the left. Uh, the more I started really developing ideological causes or use cases for Bitcoin that I felt could be applied. Um, and I trying to make frameworks for it that, that the left could understand that when we have most of the so-called sort of Bitcoin influencers being maybe more libertarian meaning or right leaning or even just sort of politically agnostic those folks can't necessarily reach the left because their frameworks don't resonate. And so I think that's when I realized there's a really important use case and there's a really important need for the left to understand Bitcoin. And, and I think the more I got involved, the more I recognized that while I think this shouldn't be ideological, I recognized game theory and felt like the way it becomes nonpartisan is for the partisan arguments to be made so it gets adopted by the left, by the right, by everyone. Um, and, and and wide adoption and wide distribution is really what's going to propel it to not be a partisan project. But I felt like, well, I kind of need to make these partisan arguments first so that the left can get a better understanding of it and so that the left isn't just allowing the right to define something and keeping us further and further from something that I think is going to change the world. Why do you think that some of the concerns that the progressive community has now with Bitcoin, whether it be environmental or, quote unquote, it's all about money, why did that not concern you when you first found Bitcoin? You know, I think maybe because the first person I learned about Bitcoin from was a trusted friend whose intellect I respected. Um, and so I think because there is innate trust in their judgment and innate trust in their intellect, um, that that might have biased me towards a more trusting approach. 
Whereas I think a lot of the left is hearing about Bitcoin both from the right and then sort of getting really bad takes from the left as well. And so they haven't necessarily had the opportunity to have a reliable, trusting voice explain Bitcoin to them in terms they understood. Um, I think that as I was learning about Bitcoin, as I said, my initial understanding of it wasn't that it was particularly partisan. And so I almost became surprised to learn how partisan it was. Um, and I joke, the the person that sort of orange-pilled me, I always joke he's my token Republican friend. Um, and so so I think like, in, I think maybe just because I happen to have that bridge and we happen to have an intellectual connection that that I was able to understand things in a, in a, in a different way. No, that's that's great. And I'll I'll come back to that that bridge later because I'm curious about that. But I want to take a step back for just a moment and actually get your elevator pitch, so to speak. And if you had to uh, say briefly why you believe Bitcoin to be good, what would that be? It's a it's a normative question. Why do you believe Bitcoin to be good for the world? I think that Bitcoin has the potential to unite every global citizen of the world under a single monetary network, which puts every citizen in the world under equal standing. Um, and I think that's incredibly revolutionary because if we look at the history of the world, that's never happened before. So I think that as we have technological advances and we're an increasingly mobile global society, um, I think that that's a revolution that allows for not one or a basket of countries to sort of dominate how the monetary system works. But instead we say, look, no government of a nation could be responsible for creating a monetary system that equally benefits every citizen because they have their own obligation to support their nation or frankly, the elite within that nation. And so Bitcoin sort of is this opportunity to get out of that system and to transition to a system that would allow every single country, every single person to have the same set of rules and to know those set of rules. You know, when I think Alex Gladstein talks a lot about the billions of people in the world who don't have access to a bank, I think there's almost 2 billion. And, you know, they have government regimes that are failing their nations, monetary systems that are collapsing. We're seeing that in Turkey, we're seeing that in Argentina. And so I think if we sort of take a step out of just a U.S. perspective and look at it from a global humanitarian perspective, you know, Bitcoin allows people to preserve their wealth, to preserve value, uh, even if government's collapsing, even if their monetary system is collapsing, even if they live in a country where they don't get to print their own money or they're completely dependent on Western institutions like the IMF to come up with the terms. Um, so I think that's really revolutionary. You know, I, I think about like Afghanistan right now and like all of the girls and women who got to start an education and now maybe they can't and all the people that might need to flee the Taliban. And 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 while obviously the internet technology is not consistent across Afghanistan and so it's not a perfect solution, you know, Bitcoin gives an opportunity to flee in a world that I think is increasingly fascist. Um, you know, I think you know, the Trump administration really woke me up to the fact that this isn't just this abstract thing that happens in other parts of the world. This could happen here in the U.S. too. So I think it's sort of like a safety hatch as well for the most vulnerable global citizens. But then it also protects citizens that maybe aren't vulnerable now. But but as we've learned, really could be January 6th could have gone a different way. 
Um, we don't know what happens in 2024. And so I also think that it's sort of like a, a protection mechanism for citizens as well as a unifier of them. So if a progressive had no idea what you were talking about, did not know that you were talking about Bitcoin, to me, I could not help but think that they would feel that whatever you were referring to was a good thing, that it would be in line with progressive ideals. And yet it seems to be getting a lot of pushback from progressives, from the left of center. Why Why do you believe that is? I think there's compounding factors. First, I think, you know, especially in the inception of Bitcoin, it was largely misunderstood as, a, you know, a quote unquote shadowy technology. Um, I think anytime there's new technology, it's misunderstood. The internet was the same. Um, so I think that piece as well as the fact that, to be fair, um, you know, Bitcoin mining, especially when it was concentrated in China, did have detrimental effects to the environment. And so I think that narrative converged with the narrative that this is shadowy, this is a competition to banks, we don't really understand it, but it's hurting the environment. Um, and I think those narratives really converged and never quite evolved to reflect the new paradigm. And then I think at the same time, as the left really gravitated to the narrative that Bitcoin is bad for the environment, there was a shift where the right started to appreciate it or the libertarian started to appreciate it. Well, this is private property. This is self-sovereignty. This is a way to keep the state out of our money. And so then I think on top of this idea of we don't really get it, but we hear it's bad for the environment. We're also hearing, well, and this is a thing that the right wing likes. And so then it became partisan. And so then I think leftist politicians sort of dug their feet in more as the right, like, embraced it more. And so now we have the situation where Ted Cruz embraces something and Elizabeth Warren hates it. And so there isn't really anyone from the left sort of saying, well, let's correct the record. In fact, you know, China banned mining this time they actually really kind of did it and that mining is now concentrated more in North America and it's increasingly renewable and in fact there's you know it, it's much more energy efficient than our current banking sector and the mining industry is in fact going to revolutionize how we use energy in the world and it's going to be a net positive for the earth. We're not hearing that. The New Yorker, the New York Times, the Guardian, you know, these legacy liberal, quote unquote, liberal media outlets, they're more parroting a fear-based account. And so I think all of those things have sort of converged and there hasn't been anyone on the left to organize and frame Bitcoin as successfully as it's been done on the right and then I think it just becomes almost like a group thing that gets parroted. Um, and that's sort of what we're seeing now. But I also think that Bitcoin is moving along the adoption curve, just like all of technology does, where that's starting to shift because it's not so, quote unquote, shadowy. We're seeing institutions adopt it. And so I'm already starting to see more progressives enter the space. And I anticipate as Bitcoiners flex their muscles politically as we saw when Bitcoiners were able to stall a bipartisan passage of our infrastructure bill, I think politicians are going to take notice. Um, and even if it's just a political calculation, I think it's going to be really dangerous for, for the left to sort of disavow Bitcoin, especially as it evolves on the adoption curve and we become collectively a very strong political organizing force uh, with lobbyists of our own. 
um, and a donor base and a supporter base that we're seeing really can come out and be strong. So I expect a shift. I hope for a shift, but I think we have a lot of work to do. And I think podcasts like this, where we're making our argument um, to an audience explicitly of other progressives from progressives is going to help. Absolutely. I'm wondering to get your, your thoughts on whether you think there's any hesitation from progressives in embracing Bitcoin simply because it's a technology rather than an individual. It's not an Obama, right? Yeah, uh, it's not a government agency. It's not a, uh, a mandate in any way. It's simply a technology. Do you think that there's hesitation because of that? It's hard to find hope in a technology. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. But I don't know if I agree. I almost think that progressives are not seeing it as a technology and that framing it as a technology actually might be more successful. Like, I'm not sure that progressives really even understand it. I think they hear that it's bad for the environment. I think they hear that it's a competition to the dollar, but I don't know that they fully understand it as a technology. So I think that technology is something that progressives understand more than if we explained it as this is a technology that unites the entire globe under one system, that that does sound hopeful to me. But, you know, and I think because people don't understand the use case, they think any energy is a waste. And if we were to say, no, this is a technology that actually unites us, there's this use for it. It allows a fair economic playing field for everyone in the world, and especially refugees, especially people that might have to leave their nation because climate change is, makes it no longer hospitable. Like, I think that that is hopeful, and that if they really did understand what the use case is, um, especially when we're combining that with demonstrating how Bitcoin mining is actually, you know, stabilizing our energy grid and is a net positive for our energy grid. I think that could potentially overcome resistance. So I'd like to see the left push it as a technology more because I think that could potentially open more minds to its potential. You alluded to that in, in your, your comment here, but can you elaborate more on why you feel that Bitcoin enables financial inclusion? Yeah. Well, first of all, just in the U.S. alone, there's about 6% of the country that's not banked at all. And I think it's around, give or take, $2 billion in the world alone. Um, and so you don't need a bank account to use Bitcoin. You just need a phone. You need an internet connection. And so I think for people that are not banked or maybe they're homeless and don't have an ID and they can't get a bank account, but but they do have access to a phone, um, they can access this monetary system. And I think that for people that maybe rely on open banking hours, but they work those hours and can't get childcare, well, Bitcoin's open 24-7, 365. Um, and so I think it's also a way to say, get away from banks that are systemically exclusive as well. For example, you know, banks had redlining policies that restricted African-Americans from buying homes. They wouldn't lend out mortgages to folks. And so that actually kept African-Americans from accessing generational wealth. And we're seeing those effects to this day. And so we also can look at a banking system. And I think in 2020, about $12 billion in profits just from overdraft fees alone 
And when we look at the statistics of who pays overdraft fees, obviously the poor and black and Hispanic customers pay twice as much in overdraft fees as their white counterparts. And so we're seeing a banking system that excludes 6% of the world and then makes $12 billion off the poorest customers that are disproportionately people of color and women. And so just from the U.S. perspective alone, Bitcoin enables people to get out of that system. Um, there's no credit system. You know, we also know that a credit-based system also is systemically racist. And if you have poor credit, that means you're paying more for every loan. You're paying more to rent an apartment. You're paying more to rent a car. And that just compounds poverty. And Bitcoin is a transition out of that system. And so I think it's inclusive to people that have historically been penalized by our banking system. Um, and then I, I previously mentioned Afghanistan, because I think what's going on there is just my, you know, my entire adult life, we've been fighting the Taliban, basically. I think it was my first year in college was was 9-11, like my first month in college. And so it's like all the alleged progress we saw has just been dismantled. And I think, well, people are running to the banks trying to get out and the banks are distributing their money. Well, Bitcoin includes people that can't even access their banks. Western Union, who, you know, charges enormous fees uh, to people that are desperate to get money to family. Well, they shut down. People couldn't access Western Union in Afghanistan. They couldn't access their banks. And that's not unique to Afghanistan. That's just the example I'm using right now. And so it's inclusive because people that can't even access banks in their country could then still be able to access their money. How do you leave if you don't have access to money? How do you flee your country? And even on a domestic level, you know, and I've, I've written about this before, but if you're in a domestic violence relationship, we know that about 90% of domestic violence victims are also victims of financial abuse. And so if you don't have access to your bank account or that's being restricted, but you have Bitcoin, that's another way where you leave. So whether you have an oppressive state that's restricting your money or you have an oppressive partner that's restricting your access to money, Bitcoin includes you. Bitcoin is an escape hatch when you can't rely on, on your government, on your financial system, on your family. It's an escape hatch that includes people that are the most vulnerable. And so that's why I believe that Bitcoin's inclusive, as well as what I had previously mentioned, that there's a lot of nations in the world that are totally dependent on, on debt and structures that Western institutions that are largely sort of pushed by the U.S. sort of implement. And I think long term, Bitcoin is a way out for those nations as well to try to, over time, create a more equal global playing field. So, yeah, I think it's I think it's inc the most inclusive thing we've ever seen, because literally everyone in the world will be able to access it and nobody gets a different set of rules. And importantly, unlike any other financial system we've ever seen, Literally everyone can understand the rules and they don't change. If I were to sit here and even try to explain to you like how the Federal Reserve System works in the U.S., I couldn't do it because I'd be afraid I would make a technical mistake and then, you know, lead your audience astray here because it's so complicated. And we should not have a financial system that is so complicated that most people don't understand it. There's 21 million Bitcoin total. There will never be more. 
We know that, that is immutable, that is true. And everyone who uses this network gets to understand that and know that that framework won't change. And I think it's inclusive in the fact that we all get to agree to those rules. We all get to know those rules and no one gets to change those rules for their own benefit. I was going to ask you why Bitcoin was the solution to uh, the issues just discussed as opposed to policy, but you just nailed it. Because I think a lot of the times progressives are going to say, well, you know, if we just had the right policymakers in place, if we just had the right laws, we can achieve what Bitcoin is supposed to be doing. And I don't necessarily agree with that, but I think everything you just articulated hit that nail on the head. That was beautiful. Thanks. And I do want to clarify that I am not someone who thinks that we should just eliminate government. Right. I do believe Bitcoin gives us an opportunity to divorce the world's monetary system from governments. And I think that's important. But I also think it's important to distinguish that government can be a source of good. And I think that's a message that we really need to articulate because I think that a lot of progressives believe in good government. And so if they have the perception that Bitcoin just eliminates government, that's not going to win many over. And so I think it's important to highlight that it's because of the government that we have civil rights. Um, I think that it's because of the government that there are certain anti-discrimination laws in place. Now, to be fair, it's also because of the government that we're starting to see those erode. But I think things like Medicare, Social Security, the Affordable Care Act, those are all government um, interventions that are incredibly important. And I think that the government can coexist with Bitcoin. I know that there's some from the right who just have this utopian idea that Bitcoin will just get rid of governments. I don't think that's logistically feasible. I don't think it'll happen. But I also think it's important to highlight a different view that we can have government and we can even believe in the efficacy of government and still have Bitcoin. And I do think that that to some degree that that's where there's some hesitancy because like I look at Elizabeth Warren and I pick on her a lot because she's someone that I've always considered to be my best advocate in the Senate. And she's also the person that I think gets Bitcoin wrong the most. And so it's a really awkward position to be in when I'm agreeing with Ted Cruz and disagreeing with Elizabeth Warren. There's definitely cognitive dissonance on an extreme level, but Elizabeth Warren sees regulation as the key. What I think is unique about Bitcoin is it one ups Elizabeth Warren because it says, well, if we can have a system that is just mathematical and free of human interference, then we could actually have a system that isn't going to require regulation because it's inherently fair. Now, I think that as a politician who's built her legacy on smart regulation, that would be a tough pill to swallow. But I think it's important to recognize that our system was founded on slavery and colonialism. Our financial system is inherently flawed. So we can regulate it. We can pass policies. We can have oversight. But at the end of the day, the well was poisoned. And so while I appreciate the efforts of Elizabeth Warren, because she has made an inherently unfair system a little less unfair, Bitcoin is inherently fair. And so I think it's actually superior to any regulation that a progressive can hope for because it eliminates that need because there's no human interference in it. I think that was perfect. I, I would agree. It doesn't necessarily need to remove the necessity for government. I would argue it makes that government more efficient and fair. 
there's less of an incentive to to focus on uh, a financial system and what it can do for you within the political structure. It can remove that and leave a government in place that is much more in tune with its citizens and, and free of a of a bias that isn't currently in, inherent in it, as you said. And it also just gets the government out of a pickle. Mm-hmm. You know, something that Bitcoin taught me, and um, I mean, Bitcoin's taught me a million things, but, you know, I never really previously considered about, you know, when we pass packages that provide aid to people that how on the other end of that, that can lead to inflation. And so at the end of the day, the very policies that we create that are spending bills to support maybe the the least advantaged among us also then simultaneously create an inflationary system that penalizes those very people. Um, it's sort of a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. And it's, I think, another reason maybe progressives haven't fully embraced Bitcoin, because I think that there's a sense of, well, how would we how would we spend? But then on the other end of that, and some of this, to be fair, is due to completely unavoidable supply chain constraints that no matter who was president could not have prevented that. But at the same time, you know, what I realized was, well, holy crap. We absolutely need to pass the stimulus. But now that we're seeing how high inflation is, I actually think people are going to spend more in gas, more in beef, more in eggs every than they actually got back in those stimulus checks. And so we might have actually set people back even further. And if that's the case, what do we do? How do we get out of this? And I honestly think Bitcoin is the only way out because the tools that we have in our current system just they don't work. They just force us in this hamster wheel. And the only way out of that hamster wheel, in my opinion, is the transition to Bitcoin. Perfect. I'm going to move on to a different question here. You've written uh, a wonderful article about Bitcoiners not remaining neutral to actively try and include those groups and individuals who may need Bitcoin the most. Do you see those efforts increasing? Uh, And if so, what more can be done? Well, not necessarily, not enough. Um, so basically, my my take is that we are switching to um, from a physical monetary system to a digital monetary system, and that right now we are seeing a once in a century transfer of wealth. And my concern is that if Bitcoin remains viewed as a libertarian and republican project, it's going to remain that the majority of Bitcoin is held by by men. Uh, by white men, and then globally by just by men in general. So for example, what we know about a network is that the early adopters to that network get the biggest benefit. And so if we take African-Americans, for example, who have been denied generational wealth due to blocked home ownership, due to the history and legacy of slavery, et cetera, and we're able to get make really concerted efforts to educate and promote Bitcoin to that to these to that community, those communities, then they can advantage from first mover advantage and they can see their wealth grow exponentially and actually have an opportunity to have the generational wealth that's always been denied to them. Women in the US couldn't even have their own bank accounts or couldn't own their own, they couldn't even own their own home until the 70s. And so there's a lot of catching up to do. And so if more women and more gender queer and and um, gender diverse people are able to understand Bitcoin and start adopting it early, 
then they have that opportunity to confirm more generational wealth to sort of offset some of the imbalances that our system has had. Conversely, if that doesn't happen, and and right now we know that the majority of Bitcoin is owned by men, and um, even though Black and Hispanic investors are buying Bitcoin faster than their white counterparts, proportionately, that's still a small percentage of the Black and Hispanic population. So there's a lot of work to do to say we have this opportunity And in order to make sure we don't replicate the inequities of our current fiat system, we really need to actively elevate leaders that from the Black community, the Hispanic community, the queer community, the feminist community to to bring people on board. Um, I have seen that there are some Black men um, that are are gaining some prominence in the space, um, which I think is awesome. I'd love to see more women of color I'd also like to see more women that represent diverse ideologies. I find that while there aren't a ton of women in the space, the ones that are, they're white, uh, they're presumably cisgender, heterosexual. Um, I don't want to assign that, but they seem to also sort of have a more libertarian view. And I think it's important that we recognize that representation isn't everything. Um, like if we look at Amy Cohen Barrett of the Supreme Court, like, sure, she's a woman. She replaced a different woman, but the ideal allergies couldn't be any different. Um, so I think we have to recognize that in order to build more trust, to build, to, to help people embrace Bitcoin, we need to elevate people from the, those communities so they can speak to people in their community, frame Bitcoin in a way that appeals to their values and to be able to establish that trust. Like I, I had a friend who was like, you know, after I, we talked about Bitcoin, she bought some and she said, well, my boyfriend and my ex, like they both were like, why did you finally do it? We've been begging you. And she was like, well, I just needed someone like me to tell me because we had that trust. We had a shared identity. And so I think that um, there's a lot of work to do still to elevate those voices, to elevate different ideologies. And I think that we'll start to see some improvements. Just, you know, I've been really surprised that just as somebody who's not a financial expert, I'm not a tech expert, you know, I'm a social worker in Portland. Uh, you know, I've been getting traction on Twitter where I've had people reach out and really say, would you do a podcast? Would you be in more spaces? You know, and I'm realizing, you know, and I did not expect that. I really didn't. So jumping to uh, a topic that I alluded to earlier about uh, potentially bridging the gap uh, between two different ideologies. In the Bitcoin community, at least on uh, Twitter, uh, Bitcoin Twitter land, they espouse the idea of self-sovereignty, right? Mm -hmm. To minimize having to rely on a third party, let alone a third party that has control over you. Mm -hmm. So you recently brought up the parallel to abortion rights as we face challenges Mm -hmm. as we speak uh, to those laws. What parallels do you actually observe between self-sovereignty, the idea of self-sovereignty and abortion rights? Well, I think it's really about control and autonomy over our, our bodies, ourselves, our choices. And I think it's about fighting against government overreach. So as a very relevant example of how the government is both overreaching regarding our bodies and how we use our money, we could look at Texas right now. So in Texas, um, it is currently legal to sue somebody for $10,000 if they help provide 
any sort of aid for someone to have an abortion after six weeks. Most people don't know they're pregnant after six weeks, so it's an effective ban. So if I were to just send somebody a hundred bucks to help fund their abortion, or if I were to be a Lyft driver and drive somebody to a clinic for an abortion after six weeks when they might not even know they're pregnant yet, um, I could be sued for $10,000. I might not, as a Lyft driver, even know if they're there just to get birth control, if they're there for a breast exam, or if they're there to terminate a pregnancy, it wouldn't matter. I could be sued for $10,000. It's an extreme government overreach of how somebody's using their money, which I think from the right is we hear Bitcoin as self-sovereignty. This is money in my own self-custody. Well, this is actually a use case for why we need Bitcoin, because we might actually need to pay people so that they can get a necessary healthcare procedure and protect ourselves from getting sued. Um, and so I think self-sovereignty is a, is about our right to make choices about what we do with our body, how we live our lives, if we have a pregnancy for nine months, if we undergo a childbirth. Um, but it's also self-sovereignty over if I want to fund that, I should be able to. So I see a direct link there. Um, and I think I see the right talk a lot about self-sovereignty from like a property rights standpoint. Um, and I would make the case that we could extend the principle of self-sovereignty to sort of a, a bodily autonomy framework because the government shouldn't get to decide what anyone does with their body or what any doctor recommends to a patient. And the government shouldn't get to decide that it's okay for another citizen to sue me because they don't like how I'm spending my money. So I think they're directly linked. Absolutely. And while you and I uh, recently had an exchange on Twitter with somebody else who uh, did not cross that bridge with us, uh, I'm wondering if you do think that this idea of self-sovereignty as it relates to money and our body could be common ground between people who might not have been pro-choice previously, but are now pro-Bitcoin and they may see that connection that you're describing. I absolutely do. Because government overreach is government overreach. And so for people that think, I don't want the government to make decisions for me, I want to make decisions myself, that should be universally applied. And so to the people that say, well, you know, I don't like abortion, I wouldn't have one, I say, great, then don't. Although many of the people that say they wouldn't have one and are against it couldn't anyway. Um, but I think that ultimately, People can personally have their opinion on if they would have one, if they think it's good, if they think it's bad. But at the end of the day, do you want the government making that decision for someone else? Do you want the government making that decision for you, for your sister, for your wife, for your colleague, um, for, for anyone really? Like either you believe that the government should stay out of personal decisions or you don't. And so I think that when people look at it from the lens of, do I want the state to interfere with my basic life? I think that there's a there's a direct correlation that I hope Bitcoin can help frame for people that maybe otherwise didn't look at it from that lens. Perfect. Thank you. I know that was not a easy question, but I think you framed it beautifully. Thank you. You're a social worker. You've mentioned that um, previously. What have been the conversations that you've had with other social workers uh, about Bitcoin? What have they been like? Have there been hesitations as well as points of understanding? Well, I will say very proudly that both of my copies of the Bitcoin standard are currently in the possession of two different licensed social workers. Um, so uh, I'm very proud to be spreading the word on that. Um, what I would say is I've 
Social workers inherently understand that our system is broken and that our system is not inclusive. Right, right. I think social workers also have tons of student loan debt and don't make as much money as the value they add to society. And so I think that there's an inherent understanding that something is broken and that is a ripe opening for social workers to embrace Bitcoin, particularly because we see all the time people that don't have IDs, people that don't have access to a bank. um, And we're constantly trying to work to, you know, help people even like get IDs because they can't get any other service without them. So I think that there is a natural opening for social workers to understand Bitcoin. And I'm seeing that a lot. I think at the same time, social workers don't necessarily have a background in finance. They may not understand inflation. Uh, They might not have access to the kind of disposable income they need to invest. And so I think many of the social workers that I've talked to, not all, some are savvy investors, but many are sort of just coming to it for the first time. Um, and investing and storing a value for the first time. But I think that they can embrace it from a values perspective. And I've orange-pilled several social workers. So I, I can say at least in Portland, Oregon, there's like a, at least a dozen of us that uh, that are Bitcoiners. They're, most are not on Twitter. And so I think there can be maybe a perception that, that I hold too. I think I have a bias that maybe Bitcoin is more right-leaning than it really is simply because of the Twitter bubble. But right. Um, I do think that there's a lot of social workers that sort of uh, they understand that the the monetary system isn't inclusive. And and so there's this embracing of Bitcoin as this inclusive system. And I also think that when I sort of frame it as the technology, for example, hey, do you remember when Netflix only sent DVDs through snail mail? Do you remember when Amazon was a bookstore? Well, that's where Bitcoin is right now. And if you buy Bitcoin now and you just hold it, right. one day we're going to be like, ha, ha, ha. Remember when Bitcoin was the equivalent of Netflix sending us snail mail? And so I think <laughs> there's an embracing of that as well, because I know that there's a stereotype that, oh, progressives don't want to make money. I just I don't know that that's necessarily true. I just don't think most people learn about investing or about finance. So tell us about the domestic violence Bitcoin project that you're starting up here? Sure. Well, first I want to say it is unofficial. And so I'm a little reluctant to give a lot of details because I do not want to overpromise and then not have it go totally through. Um, But essentially um, I have a pilot project, a conceptualization, which I'm calling SAPS for Survivors, where we demonstrate a feminist use case for Bitcoin where we provide survivors of domestic violence. And by we, uh, this would be a collaboration with the larger Bitcoin community, Uh, but essentially providing survivors of domestic violence who are reaching out to DV organizations for help with Bitcoin wallets and with sets. The idea being, since, as I said before, about 98% of domestic violence victims experience financial abuse and uh, lack of resources is why they can't leave violent situations. Um, the idea would be, well, with Bitcoin, you would have access to a secret bank account, essentially, a you know, quote unquote bank account, a secret emergency fund that cannot be monitored. Um, that would be totally private, that could be deployed at any time. Um, and so right now I have a local domestic violence organization that has agreed to pilot the project. 
I don't yet, we don't yet have custody set up. So the next steps would be essentially um, to partner with some folks that have better technical knowledge than myself to help implement a custodial setup for this 503C. And then once that's set up, uh, the real fun would begin in which we would start promoting it and asking the Bitcoin community to pitch in to pilot this project where we really do actually give emergency fund Bitcoin to domestic violence victims um, so that they have the opportunity to escape, so that they have an opportunity to have their own autonomy. Um, I think that this is a really important use case for Bitcoin. And not only does it help domestic violence survivors, not only does it help uh, a great organization that's struggling to raise funds, but it also shows progressives, look, this isn't just some nefarious thing that funds terrorist projects, like privacy is important because for some, like private money is the only way they have access to money. And so I think it's also just demonstrating that 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 Bitcoin can be used for so many purposes, including things that should be very important to progressives who care about gender equality and who care about autonomy. Oh, 100%. I, I think that'll be very well received uh, within the community, and I can't wait to support it myself. I It would be fantastic to see the local uh, governments, uh, if possible, make the Bitcoin tax exempt once spent to be able to get past that complication. Yeah, and that's where I definitely need to crowdsource some of the brilliant brains in Bitcoin because it is a 503C, so the donations themselves should be tax-exempt, but right. uh, I don't want to speak beyond my expertise here. There's a, a, a lot to sort of figure out, but my goal would be if we pilot this here in Portland, Oregon, then ideally we'd be able to replicate it nationally, globally. I think it's a model that even if as we do this, we learn some tough lessons, um, my goal would be to write up a case study to make it widely available and so that any other nonprofit could follow that model. I also think it could be done peer to peer. It doesn't necessarily need to be structured with a nonprofit. Um, there's no reason that people couldn't just set this up in their com own communities amongst themselves. Um, but what I'd like to do is test the proof of concept. And then from there, I think it could really accelerate into a movement. Absolutely. Well, it's ideas like that that are incredibly inspiring. So so thank you for taking that initiative. I've got two more questions for you. I hope you have time. Yeah, let's do it. So if you had a dream for the progressive ideals as it relates to Bitcoin, what would that be? Hmm. Well, I guess I would really love to see Bitcoin be an opportunity to redistribute wealth. I would like to see the very communities that I think have been most disproportionately harmed by our economic system be the first to adapt to Bitcoin. And I think that's a huge reason why I got into the space in the first place. Um, so I would like to see the LGBT community. I'd love to see the African-American community. I'd like to see Hispanic community. I'd like to see union workers. I'd like to see you know, quote unquote, essential workers, the nurses, the social workers, the teachers, the fabric of society that haven't gotten to generate wealth. I would like to see them be the first to adopt Bitcoin in mass so that as Bitcoin moves along its adoption curve to where I think it's inevitably going to go, that there's opportunity for these folks to retire, to own homes, to pass on generational wealth to families so that we can really equalize society. And I also think that's true globally as well. Um, 
I just want to see a world where the underdogs have a chance and where we can narrow some of these economic gaps. Um, I want to see people who struggle to make their monthly bills not lose money every year to inflation. I want them to at least hold their own. But of course, I'd like to see them do better than that. And I'd like to see a world where everyone's on equal footing. And I think in hyper-Bitcoinization, and I think we're decades away from that, but I think in my sort of idealized vision of what that could look like, if we all united under a global monetary system, we could have a global minimum wage. And I think that would solve just tons of problems. You wouldn't be shipping jobs overseas. We wouldn't necessarily have all these supply chain problems that are causing havoc on our economy. We wouldn't have massive poverty. Now, these are idealistic goals, and I don't think we get there just like from A to B. I think it's going to be a long winding road, but I think we can get there. And that's why I think we need to just keep pushing this forward. Last question. What gives you hope besides Bitcoin? This is the most cliche answer I could possibly give you. And uh, it ages me a little, but Gen Z, like uh, Gen Z is incredible. They're the most diverse generation uh, in terms of like, you know, there's gender identities and as a queer person, like I don't necessarily even know that it's just normalized. There's the most racially diverse they're also the generation that is most vulnerable to climate change and therefore most motivated to find solutions. And they're so tech savvy and so digitally native that I think that they're going to be able to develop and innovate those solutions with an eye towards equity, because I think equity is just more in their fabric. And I'm just really excited because even just I know you said besides Bitcoin, but this is a Bitcoin podcast. Uh, <laughs> you know, even the Gen Z folks in the Bitcoin world like, are incredible. They're brilliant. They're smart. They're change makers. And I think that because they have the most to lose, they have the most skin in the game. I think they're going to come up with just the most incredible solutions that I think I couldn't even imagine that, you know, over these coming decades, I, 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 I hope and believe are going to lead us to a more equal society and a healthier planet. That was perfect. This has been such an incredible conversation. I can't thank you enough for all your input. Any any final thoughts or anything you want to say, Nicole? Well, Mark, I just want to say thank you so much because um, I think by creating a platform to give rise to progressive voices, um, it's really providing an opportunity to accelerate a movement um, that the left can embrace. And I think what you're doing is incredibly important in service to Bitcoin and into our goals for, for a more equal future. So thank you so much for having me and for putting this together. Fantastic. Thank you.